Zach's video from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with the sponsor, Reed. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up for more than 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. Zach Servideo here from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with Wafa Arbash. Hi, Wafa. Hi, Zach. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, As we were just chatting pre-podcast, I'd say five out of every seven days, I'm finding um, I'm fully executing my Silver Linings playbook and and pretty positive. I think two out of every seven, it it gets me a little down in the dumps that I don't get to uh, interact with people in person, including yourself. I was really looking forward to to doing this with you. IRL as the kids say, but we'll have to, uh, we'll have to meet up, uh, post pandemic. How are, how yes, are you doing? Yes. How are you, how are you faring with all the changes? Uh, it's the same way for you. It's like, it's like you relearning to live with yourself and like discovering new area. Um, on like yourself, like I'm just been like exploring some hobbies and like learning about new stuff that I never thought I would be learning about. And then, um, yeah. And then I'm just been, yeah, working out, like having a schedule that having schedule like from working from home helps a lot. Going for walks, run. Like I have a thank you run next week, which is my first time um, doing that. So I'm excited. Nice. What What are some of the new things you've you've been learning with your extra time? Um, so I've been learning French um, on Duolingo. Oh, cool. Yeah, Duolingo. Yeah. My sister and yeah, her partner swear by it. Yeah, yeah, it's so awesome. So I've been doing that. And then I've been also um, learning more about like the stock market, about the recession. It's all very related yeah. topics to what we have right <laughs> now. And um, yeah, just cool. just like learning as I go. Oh, thought. that's wonderful. And like reading more books. So it's, it's yeah. nice. Nice. We'll have to talk, maybe we'll have to talk about some of the um, some of the things that we're both doing to keep busy and in quarantine, if you will. Um, but yeah, yep. so I want to give so for Boston Speaks Up listeners, I want to give a little background on Wafa. I'm going to read a brief summary, and um, and then we can kind of flow into it. I want to hear you know Wafa can give a top top line on workaround, and and um, we can all get to know her a bit better. So Wafa Arbash is a Syrian immigrant who's determined to restore dignity to refugees globally through her Boston-based startup Workaround, which employs displaced people and puts them to work serving the growing need of companies to prepare data for machine learning algorithms. Arbash has six years of experience working with refugees and development programs, building partnerships and strategic management. She previously served as a program manager for Startup Institute and refugee education in Jordan. Arbash holds dual master's degrees in sustainable international development and conflict resolution from the Heller School, Brandeis University, and a BA in education and curriculum design from Damascus University. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Wafa, um, for being here. Um, Your your background is... is, um, is inspiring, um, you know, in what you chose to study in school, sustainable international development, conflict resolution, like, um, really want to unpack sort of like, um, what drove you down the path that you're on. Uh, but just at a top line for, for myself or for Boston speaks up listeners, can, can you share a bit, um, from your perspective, sort of elevator pitch on, on what worker workaround is? 
Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for having me and um, giving me this opportunity, Zach. Um, so basically, work around uh, our mission is to provide uh, work for refugees and displaced people around the world, and we do that by uh, providing data tagging for machine learning. So we help companies that need to build machine learning models by tagging um, and labeling their data, which is very expensive for com companies to do in-house. Plus, it's time-consuming. So we take this time from the data science and the machine learning engineers, and we do it in very um, timely manner with a really good cost. Um, and we help them building their algorithm. Great. Um, and, and so the... Waf, are you still there with me? Yes. Okay, great. Um, you have so, it's so it's so quiet where you are. I'm, I'm used to noise. I have a two and a half year old running around upstairs. If, if anyone hears that soon, that just means she didn't go down for her nap. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm living by myself, so this is why it's very quiet. Yep. There you go. There you go. And I'm in the suburbs too. So like right before we went live, there was like a lens. There was some landscaping going on to the side. I thought that was going to be the background, <laughs> but that subsided. So hopefully, well, so you might have a few surprises on this end. Um, so just quick, quick, quick. That was a really um, very tight. Um, uh, you know, sort of like top line elevator pitch of what Workaround does. Just to double click into that for a moment. So, like, how are you um, sort of how are you sort of recruiting and onboarding? Is is everything a vir virtual process through which you sort of uh, employ um, these displaced um, people around around the world? And, and I guess in, in in that regard, it seems like you're, you're pretty um, prepared for sort of a you know, COVID-19 and, and sort of the stay at home, <laughs> collective stay at home orders we have, but we right. talk a bit through like, what are the, what's the framework and systems and sort of process you have in place um, to sort of manage, um, you know, the, your, your employees and sort of, you know, where, you know, how expansive and, and are they sort of displaced around the world? Like how many, you know, countries are represented in workarounds um, sort of an employee pool, if you will. Sure. Sure, that's a great question. So basically, um, so to answer the first part of your question, which is how do do we recruit uh, workers? Um, so basically, we partner uh, with um, NGOs, nonprofit organizations that working directly with uh, refugees, or any partners that providing um, online education for refugees. So that's our first initial um, recruitment process. Or we, um, or I just have a lot of network um, of people that working directly with refugees, so I contact with them and they um, publish or post um, their job, their job, and then we, we, we get the first initial, uh, then people go through an online application to fill some information. And once we receive this information, we uh, run background checks to make sure that um, we're not um, violating anything from the U.S. law with that, mm -hmm. that OFAC policy. And once we when once we make sure that we every the person is who they are, etc., so then they will have access to our um, online platform. So since day one, we started remotely. And we have all this process pretty much automated online and people will be able to see what job is available that's matching with their skill set and they will be able to get the job and get feedback um, automated and then payment as well once they finish um, the job. Um, so yeah. right now we have, yeah, so yeah, it's pretty, that's like, um, that was a really key for us to start like immediately remotely since day one. Right. Yeah, because um, because we we there are so many challenges for um, refugees to work um, in in host countries. So I'm not sure. Like as you might know, um, many refugees around the world are not allowed to work locally. So hmm. they're like in their host communities. Um, so by us having a work like a an office space, the only way we could uh, work around these systems and around this law is by having an online present, which is, there's no regulation around that. And that's what we're taking advantage of. Uh, so that's, um, well, the company is certainly aptly named as this is a true workaround for, exactly. for, those, for those displaced people that, that can't earn sort of locally. And from a payment standpoint, how do you pay your employees? 
Um, so basically, we have few methods of payments uh, to pay people. So if they have a bank account, that's the easy way. Like we could do PayPal or TransferWise. If they don't have a bank account, we have a, a, a partners who pay people without the required. There's a lot of innovation in the fintech space right now. Mm-hmm. So there's few partners that pay people uh, without the need for them to have a bank account. So it's like a, they transfer money to, to their mobile phone and they could get it from the local store. Mm-hmm. Cash it out. Yeah, got it. Um, and then another question. I actually, I just this just dawned on me. Given the just employment model and, and, mm-hmm. and certainly the payment model, but just is there what sort of you know growth, if at all, are you experiencing right now? And then, and then particularly, like, are you? not necessarily considering a, a pivot, let's call it an evolution. Like are, is, is your, is your company um, seeing, in, you know, is there, is there as healthy, I imagine there's as healthy demand as ever for, you know, organizing data for machine learning across industries. Uh, certainly, you know, plenty of industries that are um, either thriving or looking to be- better take advantage of, you know, big um, unorganized, kind of dumb data sets that they need to make smart. Uh, but what about just in, in the U S I think unemployment numbers just came out upwards of 15%, maybe I want to say, um, and they're climbing like is work around considering like, let's say from a U.S. perspective, like, like can it be a domestic solution here for, for folks that are displaced and in, in, in many, in many of cases in industries that, may not come back for a while. And in some cases I'm seeing, uh, Boston robotics, um, get deals to clean stadiums and sanitize stadiums when sports comes back. So I don't know that that's good and bad because maybe there won't be the same jobs for people after all of this. Um, so is work is work around like, uh, a, a new a new uh, option for um, people displaced people simply meaning displaced people from uh, from their regular you know careers in in the U.S. and beyond. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's it's kind of like a meta question, but like how are how are you um, how, like how do you kind of res- like respond to that? And, and and is that something that you're you're you've already considered or you're considering sort of like you know leaning into that um, ability to help even more, uh, people. Right. That's a great question that, um, so it's, it's like what's, what's happening right now. It's a very unfortunate situation. And the number of people that, um, it's been increasing the unemployment, uh, rate is, is really high rocket right now. And it's not just only in the U S it's also around the world. Um, right. so basically to answer your question, like it's, we, we have, we're having the same challenge. Like we have way more workers than what we have worked for them. So mm. we have more than 3000 people registered on our platform who wants to work. But unfortunately we don't have work for all of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, because we're, we're still building, we're still building our customer base, um, and we're still like figuring out ways to acquire customers in a more sustainable way. Um, so basically right now, um, every time we have one, like one task, like we have many people that's just jumping and working on it. And to answer the second part of your question is like, Hey, how, do you want to work in the U S and offer job for employees in the U S? I would love to, to do that, but be, because of this type of job based so little, it it like we cannot even afford paying the minimum wage in the United States, which is fifteen dollar per hour. Like that's what the companies are not paying us fifteen dollar per hour to do their mm-hmm. <laughs> their data tagging. So the like if you're gonna think about it from a social perspective, like we you cannot go against the law and pay people wage than the minimum wage in the right. in, in, in the United States. Like that's just interesting. That's what we stand for. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have aspirationally? Do you do you, do you believe that the type of work that work around employees are doing now, as is or evolved over time, can justify going to your growing customers over time and and sort of uh, command larger like hourly wages? Is that is that sort of a trajectory you think you're on? Yeah, that's what we would love to go to that direction as a, a North Star. But right now, um, because the type of this task um, and because of the online work, like you don't pay 
people like, hey, if you're online, you're going to get paid per hour. Like it's, it's your paid per outcomes. And that's sure. the more the remote work, uh, like theories and metrics. Like I don't want to pay you because you're just being green on my, my yeah. screen because you're online. I'm going to pay you when you, when you deliver to me the outcome. So it's, it's, it's challenging to figure out like, okay, how are you going to pay people, um, fair wages in their, in their countries based on the outcomes they are delivering? Not right. on the hour. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, interesting challenges there. I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll love, I'll love and enjoy and be grateful to, to stay in, in close contact with you in the months and years to come to kind of see how these, how these things develop. Because I, I just, I could see, I, I, you know, it just, I honestly and truly believe workaround is such a novel um, business model that. Um, and, and potentially when, when, um, when executed maybe against other types of, uh, you know, t- you know, tasks and, and sort of functions for, for businesses, um, perhaps that do command more dollars. Like it, it could be a really interesting sort of catalyst for democratizing, you know, access to jobs, um, and ability to sort of, you know, upward mobility, certainly for displaced right. peoples uh, around the world. So, um, yeah, let, let's Absolutely. talk. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a bit. Um, let's talk a bit about like your, 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 your childhood. You, you mentioned it, uh, in the pre-podcast Q and a, uh, you described it as fun. Tell, tell us about your fun childhood in Syria. Um, yeah, so I grew up, uh, I grew up, uh, in Syria, North Damascus. Um, so, you know, it's a, one of the oldest city in the world. Um, so I grew up, so I was, uh, um, so I'm one of four, um, girls in my family. So I'm the baby. Um, so I'm the troublemaker. Um, yeah. so I, I spent a lot of my childhood, um, basically playing in the street, uh, um, just going to the mountains because we, my hometown, it's like, um, it's mountains around it. So we used to do a lot of hiking and, um, uh, just going and exploring the mountains. So I grew up doing a lot of this stuff and, um, yeah, just, just was fun, uh, full of troubles and nice. that's it. <laughs> do you have any, do you recall, like, is there a definitive sort of troublemaking story that you, that you'd care to share? What sort of trouble did you get into? I mean, I always get trouble with my mom and my sisters. Like, <laughs> you know, like the baby always go against all the all yeah. the rules. Yeah, yep. I know how that. I know how that is. I was the oldest. Are so you I the felt, baby too? No, I'm actually the oldest. So I dealt with like it felt like there was two babies because my brother and sister like it just felt like they were both just trying to always go against me and cause trouble and and then I you know act back and then because I was the oldest I would get in trouble so I was the one getting instigated by by the by a couple <laughs> couple young waffles um yeah but yeah that that's fun I, so you, go ahead no I'm, I actually experienced like I um so I like my my dad passed away when I was four so my my family like raised me in a way that I'm like since I'm since since I was a kid like I'm they raised me in a way that I should be very responsible. Right. Um. So I never ask them for permission. To be honest, like I always ask for forgiveness yeah. <laughs> if I do anything. So it's always like that. I always think about any actions that I'm taking since I, I am the one who's taking responsibility for it. So I, I always like make sure that what I'm doing is responsible um, to, because like my family put all this trust in me. Yeah. Um, so I don't recall like any big, big trouble. Yeah. That, that's big, crazy, sure, right. but not big trouble. <laughs> right. You, 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 uh, you mentioned you lost your father when you were four. Sorry to hear that. Do you mind, do you mind my asking how he passed away? Yeah, so my dad passed away uh, when he was forty nine. So he had a heart attack. Oh, bummer! His heart yeah. heart disease. Yeah, we all we all have to be like had strokes that um have, have done yeah. a number done a number on the men in my family. So I'm trying to do all the work I can in life to to um fight the numbers, um, if you will. What, um, so you were four years old, how old and how much older were your siblings? Like, like what's the sort of age difference Um, between all of you? So my sisters, um, so, so I, I, so I have three other sisters. So, um, two sisters, they are, um, 
13, 12 years older than me. And mm-hmm. then I lost, I lost a sister between me and the other sister. So she was older than me in seven years. So we lost her after like one year of my dad passed away. Oh, that's awesome. She yeah. had, really, what kind of cancer yeah. did she have as a child? Um, she, she passed away uh, at the age of 12 and she got like, I think cancer in her brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was no, any solution. Um, right. I mean, still, yeah. Yeah. The, Ar- the Arbash family really triumphed over some pain when you were four I know. Yeah. Old. My I mom, mean, I mean, I was mo- a kid at those yeah. age, but, um, yeah. Right. Your mo- I want to like your, your mom. I mean, I mean t- tell us a bit about your mom. I mean, she, she then had, she lost her husband, um, lost one of her daughters had then, yep. you know, still three children to raise. Um, I imagine she was a rock for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, my mom. She's a um, she's a fighter. Basically, she's yeah. uh, she's she's very optimistic. She is um, she's someone who always wants to keep doing stuff and moving. Yeah. Um, because she <clears throat> she always uh, believed in like okay when you do when you do good things good things gonna happen and you never know if you go this path what you're gonna discover. Right. Um, so she always like until now like she always inc- like though she wants me to go back. <laughs> Yeah. But she she always like um, very supportive. Um, she always wants to. Um, yeah, I mean, even even when she lost my dad and my sister, she kept working and she wants to do anything to keep supporting the family and make sure that we we have food on the table. Um, and she made sure that like education is is number one priorities for me. And yeah, so she she gave me what my other sister didn't get basically yeah wow she must be so she must be proud of you although i bet she does she does uh remind you to to come and visit as often as you can how often do you make it home uh well i only so i've been in the u.s for seven years now yeah. um, i only was able to make it home for once okay and then so hopefully soon <laughs> hopefully soon and then what do your two sisters do so my two sisters. Uh, so my my two sisters didn't get the opportunities to go to college because when they was at that time to go to college, that's when my dad passed away. Right. So they were eighteen, so they were they left school and started supporting my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of my sisters are married, and I have nephew and nieces. Oh, there you go. So your yeah. your your older sisters have done a good job of furnishing you ne- uh, nephews and nieces so that you can be the cool. Yeah, aunt. exactly. So now no yeah. pressure on me. Nice. <laughs> Every time my mom says like, "Oh, when are you gonna get married? When are you gonna have kids?" I was like, "We have five kids right now." Okay, five. Oh, that's amazing. You guys must. So you you're probably been doing for a while what we've all been doing the last couple of months. You do a lot of like video, like Zoom calls with with yeah, yeah. Your, your nieces and nephews. Because my nieces and nephews are in Syria, so I'm the so I'm the cool aunt slash friends. So we nice. um, so my niece my niece is twelve years old, and we've been doing like sometimes work workout virtual workouts. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, oh yeah, at home workouts a big thing right now. <laughs> yes, and right now we also do uh, Dolingo. So um, she and I and uh, my nephew he's in his yeah. third year in college. Also, we're on Dolingo, so we challenge each other. So it's fun. Oh, cool! So, are you the three of you challenging each other in French right now? Uh, no. So I'm learning French. My nephew's learning Spanish. Okay. My niece is learning Turkish. Oh wow! So you're all, that's <laughs> yeah. really interesting because Duolingo can allow you all to do each of those things. Well, you'll have to. Yeah. One of these days, you'll have to. Maybe if you if you all focus on one of the one language y'all focus on french and then you can like rendezvous in uh paris in a few years have a, i know have, I can't, have a cool yeah. aunt I can't trip wait. <laughs> i can't wait yeah um amazing um so so talk to so sort of you just kind of alluded to how you know your age when when your father and your sister passed away you were about four or five years old your sisters were like would have been approaching sort of college age and they ended up going and working. You then had like, you know, another sort of 12, 13, 14 years before you were, you went off to college and, and um, what was it sort of as you were, you know, maybe getting in your, you know, you know, mid teenage years, like 15, 16, um, 
did you start to, you know, when did you decide like, Oh, I want to go to school and this is what I want to do. Like, did you have a lot of clarity on that? Um, as, as a young woman? Um, so basically I, um, so for those time I always was in like in, in school, like I never left school. So I'm always like in like the middle school and then the high school like that. Right. I was going to school. But then when the last year for my school came, so I had a cousin um, older than me in one year and he got the full marks in the high school degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's very few people get the full mark. Right. Um, and, and, is that, <laughs> and what does describe like this full mark mean? Like, is that like perfect scores or like top or top of the class? No, no, it's it's yeah. perfect. Like so, it's a hundred. Like literally, literally perfect. So it's just a perfect it's score. Perfect, yeah. And okay. also, like in Syria, uh, the education system is very different from here. Like here in the U.S., you go to school based on what you like, based on your interest. In Syria, it's not like this. You go okay. to school based on your score. So if you score a hundred, you can be a doctor. If you score fifty percent, you can go do something else based on your score. Okay. Um. So when the time came for me to um, to finish my high school, like my family kept saying over and over, my mom and my two sisters, like, oh, like we're not sending you to um, like two years program. It's either we're going to send you to a, a university to do f- four years or you're not going. I was like, shit, I only have this one shot <laughs> that I have to get it right. <laughs> yeah, you just got to um, take it. Yeah, so I did, I did study and I did my best and... Um, my cousin helped me a lot. Um, he was like uh, the accountable partner for me. So yeah. every time when he calls, he's like, hey, Wafa, did you study? So I was like, no, I think tomorrow. And he always said to me, uh, tomorrow for lazy people have never arrived. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so <it's> a, <laughs> that, <laughs> tomorrow for lazy people never arrives? Yes. So um, yeah. since that time, every time when I Love say that. like, oh, I study this tomorrow, and then I always remember his sentence like, like yeah. oh, shit. <laughs> so, now you can't put anything off. Now exactly. you hear your now you hear your cousin every time you're like working really late nights for work around, and you're like, I totally deserve a break. And then your cousin <laughs> pops in your head. <laughs> yes, and I made sure that I uh, talk that to my nephew and nieces so they know what. what there you go. <laughs> There you go, um, passing it on to the next generation. Yeah, so I mean, that was maybe motivation for me to um, to make sure that I finish what I set myself to do every day. Um, but yeah, I, then I my I finished my high school and I was able to go to college. I was fortunate, and my family supported me um, through the college. Yeah, and then so that was that initially the Damascus University. Yes, so that was okay. Damascus University. Yeah. Great. And then sort of, um, what do you, you know, what do you study there? It, you eventually went to get master's degrees in sustainable international development, conflict resolution. Like, were you, did, did you in that first four years of college kind of start to identify you know, aspirationally where you were heading? Yeah. So basically, as I mentioned in, in Syria for like, like, you get to college based on your score. So the only score I was able to, I was really wanted to learn um, English literature because I like to speak English and uh, and I couldn't get it. It's, it's I I think that the difference was like maybe two 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 marks. Yeah. Um. So then I got into the education, uh, which I did not like to to study, but I had to finish it because it's like you, you need this certificate in Syria. Just piece of paper to, to say you're educated um, so but so I was like okay so I felt in my first year in college uh, because I did not like it but then I right. discovered that <laughs> that's the alternative <laughs> not gonna be very <laughs> very bright so I was like okay fine I'm gonna study till just finishing the school and do but aside I identified through a few areas where I could explore um, so I started doing a lot of volunteer work with um, with like nonprofit organization in Syria where I start like oh learning like oh there's something called development oh what's that and or something called training and you could go and train other people and mm-hmm. and that's where 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 my inspiration started where you where I was just volunteering my time learning and exploring and meeting all these cool people and that's where things start clicking to me that oh I need to do something more about development or international or um and a key for me was like really like yes everything is like so cool that like at the end of the day 
if we don't give people work, like nothing really matter because if, if now yeah. we're, you're sitting at your home and if I'm giving you money for like each month, you're going to be happy. The first month like, cool. And the next month you're going to be fine. But after a while, you're just going to feel very unempowered mm-hmm. um, and you're going to feel you don't have any sense of purpose in your life. So the the way of, that's like, I think this experience and maybe my childhood and going through all these, like it's really shaped, shaped me to think through that we really need to provide people with work because work is just the basic need for people that's going to empower them through like once you, ha- once you work your, your well-being, you can be able to provide to your family, to your kids, education, health, uh, shelter, everything that comes after but work, I think it's just um, very much bottom line for me. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, not to put words in your mouth, but to put that, to put that back to you. I mean, it's, it's kind of, I kind of heard, you know, twofold one. I mean, of course, like work, work work is, is essential to sort of like providing or, uh, you know, for yourself and, and your family, your loved ones. Um, but perhaps even most importantly, because this kind of feeds number one, the, you know, to continue to happen, just being um, ensuring that you have purpose um, uh-huh. and, and feeling you have self worth and and being um, and motivated and, and feeding off that motivate you know that motivation right because I think the opposite what you alluded to is like you know you know c- complacency you know and, and sort of status quo and and lack of purpose and lack of motivate you know that you know de- you know leads to de- you know a demotivated state and um yes. you know it's it's like what what is that's a, a much lesser sort of happiness quotient right and you know we get this yes. precious life to live let's you know let's um let's let's be happy and purposeful while you know in part you know in part that you know while providing for ourselves and 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 those we love 100 percent. yeah yep uh cool uh moving kind of moving along like can kind of kind of you know flow a little bit here from sort of um you finish at damascus university talk you know you finding these, um, you know, volunteer sort of like education programs locally. Um, what was sort of the bridge, um, that kind of led you to the United States and specifically to Boston? Yeah. Um, that's a fun story. (laughs) (laughs) A little crazy. Uh, so basically, um, so I started getting so interested in like foreign and international, um, so before the war, Syria used to have a lot of foreigners coming to Syria to learn language. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time I was walking in the street and I saw my cousin, uh, not the same cousin, <laughs> the brother, who is like a foreign person. I was like, huh, how did you? And I was very curious because I just found that very cool. Um, and so that he, he mentioned that he do a language exchange with them. So okay. he teaches them Arabic and they teach him German because he wants to go to Germany. Mm-hmm. I was like, huh, because and I couldn't like because I wanted to learn uh, English. That's like my my high school like goal to to be able to speak English, etc. So I was like, huh, maybe I can find like um, some people who wants to 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 exchange language with me, and that's how I found my first um, American uh, woman in Damascus. Like it just was so random oh, cool. <laughs> in the bus. Uh, I chatted with her and she was like, Oh yeah, I'm interested of exchanging languages. And we still like, we still talk to today. Basically. Oh, wow. You met her on the bus. Yes. In the bus. Nice. In Damascus. Nice. <laughs> I was so like, just, Hey, that's um, awesome. sorry for being weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Hey, sorry for being weird. But, um, do you want to learn Arabic? I can teach you Arabic for free. Do you want to teach me? And she was like, sure. Oh wow. And what then, was she doing in town? Like what was her, what, so she, she was studying Arabic. Um, so mm-hmm. she's uh, she's right now um, finishing her PhD in Oxford about the Middle Eastern studies. Yeah. Um, so that's how that's how I started, and um, so and then because of my. Um, like because I start seeing more people, so I start meeting more people like studying abroad and like, and I was like, oh damn, that's pretty cool. And I always dreamed that you see like the daydream when you like, you think like you like stop for a second, you just like imagine yourself in like a 
in another place and doing mm-hmm. other stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always, since I was in high school, um, I always imagine myself studying abroad when I used to watch movies or like, I always see it very, it's like, see when you see vision, like really clear to your head, that was oh, like yeah. me. And if, if I shared that with other people, they, they would think that I'm a crazy because they think like, Oh, like you don't have money. Like your family are not educated. Like how are you going to make it to study abroad? Um, but I always determined and I knew that that's like, it's a fact. It's not something like I, it's not going to happen. Um, so basically short story long, I finished my, um, my undergrad and I, I did work in Syria for like six months, but that's when the situation in Syria was getting really bad. Mm-hmm. Like the Syrian war what, started. What year was this? So that was, um, so the conflict started in 2011. Yeah. Uh, in March, and I left the country in June. So actually, it's my uh, seventh anniversary coming soon, June fifth, twenty thirteen. Oh, so June, so June fifth will be will be seven years. Seven years since yeah. I got to the U.S. And um, yeah. so, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, well, I was going to say you're not alone on the vision sort of vision questing. Um, I'm a big believer that, and, and I, I do this almost every night before bed. I kind of just, and there's different points in your life where you have different visions, but like you just let, you know, I'm, I, I'll fixate on, on a certain new image in my life, um, that I want. And, you know, when it was very difficult to uproot my wife and I's life in LA where our daughter was born, but like want to come back to Boston. That all I would envision every night was just, this is the life I had to go build back in Boston where I missed and I wanted to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be all these like difficult steps on the, in the way, but let me imagine all the things and really paint the canvas over time of like, here's what, here's where my mind takes me. And I feel, ha- and I feel happy. And let me talk about in, in my case, let me talk to my wife about that so that we have alignment <laughs> on my, uh, my vision questing. Right. You know, cause this is yeah. a partnership of it. And, um, and then upon us agreeing on that goal, um, cool. Like now, like let's, you know, to start to implement some, some, some sort of process to uh, get there. But, uh, yep. but yeah, no, I, I love that. I love how, I think that a lot of, um, a lot of people, a lot of like minds that I meet kind of similarly um, think like you, they certainly don't um, maybe face as, as tough of a mountain climb as maybe you have of like, all right, well, how am I going to get from Syria to America <laughs> and like live this vision yeah. that I have in my mind? Right. I can, so, so, so talk, so talk to us through how you made that happen. Yeah. It's a very crazy. <laughs> so I did. Um, yeah. It's, it's insane. Uh, I did. Um, so I started looking online to figure out like, okay, I need, I need just to, to get out of Syria. So I started like sending uh, messages to university and I got um, this, um, I got into this program um, in Utah State University. <laughs> it's very random. Um, Utah State University for uh, language, language exchange and culture immersion. Where, so they bring where is it in Utah. It's Utah. Wait, is that? Yeah. Oh, wait. So, is that why you have a Utah phone number? Yes. Because I'm looking at the line you're on for the podcast, and it's Brigham yes. City, Utah. Yep. <laughs> okay. There we go. Dot connected. <laughs> now you you you're getting all the dots together. So basically, um, I was like Utah, and uh, so when I received that email, I I literally just Google it. <laughs> yeah. I googled and you see on the map it just shows you the place so I kept like zooming out zooming out just to figure out which yeah. country <laughs> where the hell is Utah I don't exactly. even know where. I have to think about that for a second <laughs> zoom out zoom out zoom out zoom out I was like oh shit this is in the United States of America huh okay. um, <laughs> so well, it's the right time, country <laughs> right yeah it's the right country so at this time my family had no idea that I was in the background <laughs> doing all this uh, research and applying um, 
So that time I was actually traveling in Lebanon and I came back home and I told, so I always joke and told my family, I'm going to travel, like I'm not going to stay here. But everybody yeah. thought that this is a joke. I went yeah, back home not. and I was like, listen, this is, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is I just real. got this admission. Um, and it was actually um, in February and they said the program's going to start in June. Oh, <laughs> and I'm only months. gonna. <laughs> and I was like, "Listen, it's uh, it's a program for two months. I'm gonna go June, July, and be back in August." Um. So my family, thought, my family did not believe that this is something really happening. Um. Especially like they they asked me to pay for my um my ticket and stuff, but they were they gonna cover cover stuff here. So I was like, "Sure, I'm I'm gonna like." I'm going to do whatever I can do. And I had zero dollar at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically short story long, I hustled, I got the money. I, I at that time I just got employed in Syria and I, they were paying me us dollar, which is what's awesome. Because yeah. was, so uh, I hustled, I got the money and I uh, traveled and I was supposed to be in the U S for two months. Um, but uh, things changed. Um, so once I once I arrived here, within the first ten days, the U.S. said um, anybody Syrian physically in the United States right now they could apply for um, this type of visa where they allowed to stay here and work. I was like, oh my god, this is for me. Right. And that's um, I applied. I decided to stay in the U.S. To go to school, um, and that's um, yeah. And then I, within the first ten days, I called my family. I was like, "Listen, the plan changed. Slight change of plans. <laughs> <laughs> Have some updates." Um, but they, my family, were very supportive to me at that time because um, my work in Syria was really traveling um, in towns and or between cities in Syria, mm-hmm. and because of the situation was getting really bad. Um, so it was very dangerous for me to keep traveling um, on the road all the time because there was a lot of fighting and um, unstable situations. So they were like, okay, we, they knew that they would not be able to let me stay home in Syria while the conference was, was running. So they said, right. okay, if you're going to stay safe in the U.S., stay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, yeah, that's, and then I... I stayed in Utah for one year. I um, I did. I studied English in Utah for one year, and I was preparing to go to graduate school there. And I applied for Brandeis as well because I wanted to do something based on international development. And mm-hmm. um, I was fortunate enough to live with American family, who I consider my American family. Oh, nice in Utah. In Utah, yes. Um, so they they are awesome people. Um, did you spend like I, holidays with them? Oh yeah, yeah. They they nice. they are just really my family, you know. It's like a That's great. second. Yeah. yeah, they come visit you in um, Boston pre-pandemic. Yes. Yeah, they were here. Um, oh, cool. Last August, yeah. Nice. And I was for Christmas what? there, so it's huh. it's like a family. How big is your American family? Um, so I have a brother and sister, but I'm also the baby there. So I take the double uh, <laughs> <Nice>. advantage. <laughs> there you go. You, you're in familiar territory. Exactly. <laughs> you can bust them. You can have fun, whatever you want. There you go. You can be the instigator. The babies and, <laughs> yeah. Um, I even one time I met my American family. We were driving from Arizona to Utah and I, I asked them to I uh, stopped in Las Vegas yep. for me because I never been there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I texted What'd my. You think? <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. So you have to go to actually <laughs> soak it in. Right. So I was like, okay, let me see what America is all about. <laughs> so I texted oh, my American Don't judge sister. Don't by Vegas, <laughs> please. <laughs> <laughs> I texted my sister with a picture. Um, of me and she was like, of course, Wafa, they will take her, to, take her to Vegas, not me. <laughs> I was like, oops. That's, yeah. a, that's amazing. <laughs> oh man, yeah, just yeah, Vegas, please don't don't judge us by, by Vegas. What um? We just, my family only agreed to stay uh, to stop for uh, breakfast, so we had a breakfast. We gamble for ten dollars, I guess, was the limit, and that's nice. it. Yeah. Yeah, get in, get out. That's smart. Don't, yeah. Don't th- yeah, you don't want to see. You can get sucked into the Vegas vortex fast. They start pumping you with oxygen, and before you know it, three days have passed, and 
they burned a yes. hole in your wallet. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Not that I would know. But I, I just wanted to see it because like where I was in Utah, like, um, you know, Utah, like the culture there. Um, so it's like we only had one bar in the whole um, city. And wow. my, yeah. Syrian family, my Syrian friends, they thought that I'm in like a New York or Vegas. <laughs> right. They thought that's like a wild American life. I was like, uh, nope. No, I'm I'm amongst the Mormons. No, it's pretty chill. Yeah. What, yeah. what was it about? Um, was it the, was there a it's kind of two part question, but both tied to kind of the move to Boston? What what was it? Um, what was it about Boston that was desirable? And then what was it about Brandeis? Like, was it a particular program at Brandeis? Yeah. So basically, when when I was in Utah looking for a school, like I, I kept meeting with like this um, like with professors in the university, and I kept telling them what I want, and they kept telling me like I don't I don't believe this is the right program for you. Like um, I don't believe this is like if this is your vision. I don't think this is this is going to help you to go to that vision. Um, so then I found um, there's like this group um, on Facebook for. Um, for for Syrian students who who are looking to to apply for universities or and then I found this program um, sustainable international development I was like huh maybe that's what I wanted and um, and I applied yeah. to Brandeis and I got my admission actually April April first so I thought it's a fool <laughs> yeah there you go so I was like maybe this is April one day my American mom she said we don't do this in the US so I was like okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that would have been an awful was, April Fool's joke. I know. <laughs> um, I think that's the program by itself. Um, so it's an international program. You have people literally from every single part of the world. Um, and it's just people like practitioner who's bringing their experience. That was like really, um, so that was, was very attractive to me. Great. And, and, um, and so was it, I mean, I guess how difficult was it? Like you, you were so, you initially came to America for two months and then all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> there's this unique program because of the war in Syria. So you have like, you're telling your family, all right, I'm here indefinitely. You have your new American family that you, that helps you feel grounded in Utah, but now you uh -huh. find a program in Boston. How did it feel? Was it like, you know, it was, it was probably difficult. It was difficult to leave Syria and come to Utah. And then was it like, and then all of a sudden one year later, you're going from Utah to, to Boston. Um, how was that like emotionally for you? Uh, yeah, I think uh, so. Looking back, I do, I do believe like if Utah was perfect place for me to stay, to start my journey in the U.S. because it was very chill. People were so kind. Mm -hmm. uh, people were very helpful, very like and I, I got so lucky and fortunate to be with my American family um, who's super open-minded, who didn't just open their house for me. They literally opened their hearts and their their home for me. And so that was really awesome. That's um, beautiful. It's, it's, it's really like I, like, I remember maybe the first, after living with them in a few months, I was chatting with my Syrian mom and she was like she asked me how's your mom and dad and I couldn't answer for a few seconds I was like did my mom like lost her mind why she's like why, why she's asking me this question yeah. um and then and she was like oh your American family right now they are like your mom and dad I was like ah okay yeah. and um it's it it was really nice to especially I lost my dad in a very young age and the fact that I'm like now have a dad like even my niece yeah. was confused. She was like, "So does Wafa? Like, I know her dad died, but are you saying he's alive in the U.S.?" Oh <laughs> yeah, it's confusing for a child. Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah. the, the fact is, it it was hard for me to to um to come to Boston. It's just maybe the when I when when I moved, but uh, it was a, the right step for me because I'm a big city. Well, Boston is not a big city, but it's a good city to start. Um. And it's bigger, bigger when I was where where I was in Utah, and um, yeah, it's certainly it's more than one bar. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not. <good. laughs> no, but you'd think that I'm spending yeah. all my day long in bars, but it's, <laughs> yeah, like, um, it, people are open mind here. Yeah, and and let me just say too before it leaves my mind, your mother. Yeah. What a what a beautiful person! Like she see like you've only you 
giving us but this glimpse into like your relationship but like here you are like half a world away from her with this new family and she was just so supportive she said exactly the right thing you needed to hear like oh how are your mom and dad there like like that i mean that makes me emotional like that's a very just like bold beautiful like like perfectly nurturing way for your mother to treat the situation you're in and from my view um and it makes me want to meet your mom and give her a big hug oh yeah i wish i wish we can bring her here i will so tell, she I should listen to this and i'm giving her a hug like through the you know di- you know the digital world um much appreciated she'll give you the hug back yeah nice thank you uh, yeah um all right so where did you it's like you get to boston where did you where did you initially sort of settle? What part of town did you stay there? Have you moved around since? Like what, what, um, you know, what was it like when you first got here? And I, I loved hearing in the, um, pre podcast Q and a with you that, you know, one the thing that you, um, so, that sums up why you live in Boston is, is the people. Um, mm-hmm. so sort of you know, talk about that too. Yeah. Um, so I moved to Boston and I moved to, uh, Waltham, um, which where yeah. Brandeis is. Um, so I, I stayed in Waltham till I finished uh, graduate school and then I moved to Somerville and I've been here since then, which is like al- almost three years uh, since I graduated. Um, oh, so basically, cool. we, like, we've lived, by, by the way, we've lived in similar, been in similar hoods because ah, I, really? when I graduated from Boston University, my first job was in Waltham. So I know all about mm-hmm. Moody Street. Yeah, and I lived at home for a year, saving money. And I used to crash with, I worked, I worked right off the Totten Pond Road exit. And I used to crash with like the, some of my young coworkers, like, and just stay in Waltham all the time. And then I moved to Somerville yep. and lived in Somerville for like seven years and lived on Highland Ave, right, right outside of Davis Square. And I love Somerville. Oh, nice. yeah. And Highland Kitchen is nice. one of my favorite places to go. Just like hang out. Oh, like, yes. Have a meal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. Nice. Uh, so, and Somerville is a good place to kind of settle into town. You're like, you're close to the city, but it's kind of got its own little, um, that Camberville area. It's like so many, so much good food and, and restaurants oh, yeah. and obviously the, the in, and then the, as you mentioned in, um, uh, in the pre podcast Q and a, like the innovation ecosystem, um, mm-hmm. you know, is, is great for building workarounds. So I imagine so oh, yeah, you, as you were going through Brandeis, were you then sort of ideating on like, okay, like, what am I going to do with this degree? Like, what am I going to, you know, how am I going to, and how can I take like lean into this interesting sort of Boston innovation community that I'm in? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so basically I, I never thought I will do a startup. That was not the plan. My plan was like, even in the, like the, the question you had, like you said, what's the first career um, you remember wanting? My yeah. career always want, wanted to be the head of the United Nations. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Not compromising. I love it. You're such a dreamer. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that was my dream. And it was yeah. my dream. It was my dream, to be honest, till like maybe yeah. four years ago. Wow. Um but then hey, it then could still things. happen. You guys, you heard it here first on Boston Speaks Up. Wafa Arbash, the future head of the United Nation. Don't rule it out. Yeah, I see. It's a good name. Yeah, it is. Um, it sounds good. <laughs> but I, I just was. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, just the fact that um, I, me, I'm like, I'm not patient. I really like to see action. Like, I really want to see results, or I want to see some actions, even small actions that it's taking to. Um, to some outcomes um, mm-hmm. versus like if you're working with a bigger organization, there's so much bureaucracy. There's so like, that's like, that's like really makes me die. You know, like it, it just doesn't motivate me to keep working because all the, the loops you have to go through. Right. Um, so basically then when I started writing my master thesis, um, I started writing about education. Mm-hmm. But halfway through blends change, I was like, you know what? You see when you're sitting and writing about something, but you, you're just feeling like, ah, not excited, not motivated. And I always wanted to do something that motivates me and like, because I'm just passionate. Mm -hmm. Um, so I called my advisor two months before submitting. I was like, listen, I'm not passionate about what what I'm writing. (laughs) (laughs) He said, well, well, well. I was like, I start like a side um, looking at this idea, and I would love to get your support. And if, if you give me the permission to switch my master's from education to giving people jobs, 
and she was like, okay. We we chatted a little bit about it, and she was like, okay, if that's what you really want, and if you're passionate about this, then go for it. Because I I just wanted to to add value, and the more I researched the, about education for refugees, I was like, there's nothing to add. Everybody's done so much, and I couldn't find any work for people, and that's where where the the idea starts like yeah that's where the white space was that's where the need Mm -hmm. was okay so to to, just to put that out that's that's a really interesting like you're you were developing you're the you know you're you're basically working fully toward just like here's more ways to educate refugees and then you realize wait a second there's a million ways to educate refugees how do they all get jobs and then you looked at that and you're like wait a second there's a bunch of white space here like we need to help all these educated refugees get jobs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay yeah and especially like it's it's again like it's it's awesome it's beautiful it's like when you when we have any crisis like we see how how much people are helping like even right now during this crisis right now like there are so many organizations trying to provide food for families, trying to provide um, income for people who who needs who needs like some support. But it's just not a sustainable way. It's awesome. It's beautiful when we have a crisis and initially in the first like few months. But as we think about long term, it's it's just not sustainable. So I was right. really just looking into okay, what's the long term solution? Like, is the war going to end in Syria today? I wish, unfortunately, yeah. not, not the reality. So that's how I start thinking about like the ways to to empower people through jobs, um, and that just because of my childhood, because of my background, and this is just clicked so well with it. It's just like work. And um, so that's how it started. And when yeah. when I when I got a little closer to 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 Boston, I was like, oh, shoot. like I, I was amazed how the community and how the innovation is like. It's actually overwhelming because you have mass challenge, you have tech stars, you have um, yeah. venture cafe, you have so many even so many VCs, so many stuff happening in yeah. Boston. You get so overwhelmed by the. And by they all the take amount. very community oriented approaches. Yeah. Yes. And that's when, like, yeah. I was like overwhelmed, and that's when, when I was like, Boston is like really the awesome city to be in. Yeah, yeah, that's um, you just summed up why I missed it and why I ended up back here. <laughs> it's like, it's a really, um, it, it's interesting because one of the most common themes of Boston speaks up. I think this was like episode forty-four, and I would say like no less than. 10 if not at least 15 times have people just kind of opened up about the um the kindness of, of bostonians on this podcast and it's been mm-hmm. i mean i'm from the area so i'm like oh that's great like when you go around the country and whatnot like you oftentimes hear like oh boston tough tough place to kind of crack into like you know like it's very um you know it's it's it's, it's good community if you're a local etc cetera, etc cetera. and like I just never saw, like, I don't see that side of Boston and never have. Um, mm-hmm. And, and actually find, you know, and I've always, and I'm like, Oh, am I just skewed because I'm very welcoming. I'm like, I feel like everyone I know is welcoming. Um, yes. But like, I was talking to Lucy Maffei um, early on, like one of the you know first five or six podcasts I did. And she, you know, she writes for Boston business journal. Now she's uh, she's from Italy and she lived mm-hmm. in, she lived in the first she lived in Chicago. That was like her landing spot in the US. And she wrote for TechCrunch. And then she went to DC and she worked for NPR. And then she moved to Boston. And yeah. she she was um it was beautiful. Like she told the story about her parents visiting from Italy and they had visited her in all the different cities. And, and I was like, Oh, how, how did the cities compare? And she's like, Oh my God, by far my family and I just, we like the people in Boston are the kindest. Like my oh, mom yeah. would love, like, like she'd walked around and the, like when my mom walks around in Boston, like everyone helps her get where she's going and she meets all these mm-hmm. people. And like, she's like, it's just really beautiful. And that's what it was like for me when I got here too. So, um, uh, I imagine you, you know, it sounds like you've had like similar experiences, which, which oh, yeah, you know, warms my heart. Yeah. Yes. No, no, it's, it's, yeah, I, it's just home. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, so Wafa, as we're kind of like, working towards the, the crescendo here and it's been a wonderful, mm-hmm. um, it's been wonderful jamming with you. I'm curious, um, outside of the, uh, helping displaced people, helping refugees, um, work, um, cause amazing, beautiful, right? 
infectious sort of um, cause that you're you're working on with Workaround. What other um, what other sort of you know focus? Um, what other problem facing the world outside of COVID nineteen that the future, you know it, it, what other what what other problem yeah. in the world does the future head of the United Nation feel like needs solving right now? Oh man, actually, that's a great question. Since you asked me this question, I was thinking like, oh, okay, what, 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 what is it like? Um, and I, I believe it's corruption, mm. um, because corruption is, is is the root for any development. Mm. Is the root for um, poverty. Is the root for um, lack of education, lack of having good infrastructures. Um, so it's, I think corruption with accountability. Um, yeah. And we see that happening pretty much all over the world with so many cases yeah. like yeah. Venezuela, Syria, and other and Lebanon, and many many countries are facing uh, the same challenges. It's not the not the problem having resources; it's just a problem how we're managing those resources and the people who's the leaders how they corrupted and taking everything. I think that's think that if we solve corruption, then we would have more equal or just toward. Yeah. Um, then, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful answer. If we, if we could solve corruption, yeah, we'll have a, there'll be more, there should be more democratized opportunity for the world. Cause there's plenty of great initiatives and, and uh, to, um, create opportunity, but oftentimes, you know, that can't fight corruption. Um, yeah. I love that answer. I'm, I'm just, I, j- I jotted down a note here. That's, that's a, um, of all I've asked this question just about every time. So that it's actually the yeah. first time I've gotten that answer. I, I, I really appreciate the thoughtfulness uh, behind that one. Wafa, this has been tremendous. I really look forward to you and I being able to hang out. Um, you know, when the, you know, when, this when is the over, dust huh? appropriate settles from, <laughs> from the pandemic. But in the meantime, continue your at-home workouts um, and have, have fun Zooms and Duolingo challenges with your nieces and nephews. And I'm um, really you know, grateful for the time you spent here. Really um, excited to see how Workaround grows in the, in the, in the years to come. Well, thank you so much, Zach. It's been really fun and uh, chatting with you. And I really look forward to having coffee with you soon when this is over. And enjoy your time at home with your wife and uh, your little kid as well. I appreciate that, Wafa. We'll do a, uh, maybe we'll do a coffee at Diesel Cafe in Davis Square. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's my jam. 10 minutes work from me. (laughs) Okay, sweet. Wonderful. All right, cheers. Cheers, Boston. Thank you. 